This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equity Mates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own Now job. you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics that you need to start your investing journey. Are you joining us for the very first time or is this the start of your investing journey? Well, before you dive into this episode, our feed is designed to go from the very beginning. So we strongly recommend that you scroll up and start from episode one. However, if you are feeling brave and just want to dive in, then of course, don't let us stop you. Here at Get Started Investing, we unpack all the jargon, the confusing bits. We hear your investing stories with the goal of making investing less intimidating. And of course, we want to have a good time along the way. My name is Bryce. And as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited. There's a few big milestones in the year. You know, we've got Christmas, the Americans have Thanksgiving, but here at Equity Mates, there's nothing bigger than ASX Week. (laughs) There is nothing bigger than ASX Week and we're lucky to be doing this uh, for the second time this year. Uh, We did the ASX Week in May. Christmas only comes once a year. ASX ASX Week comes comes twice. twice. That's right. (laughs) Uh, So this week on Equity Mates and Get Started Investing, it is all about ASX Week. We've been lucky enough to partner with the ASX to bring you some of the best sessions and experts from their biannual conference. This November, as they've been unable to deliver the event in person, uh, we have been able to move it all online and we're giving you eight episodes on demand as well as on the website. Uh, We're bringing you presentations, all the information now delivered at the asx.com.au website. And we're lucky enough to have an expert with us in the studio to help us through all things to do with portfolio construction and balancing portfolios. And that is Gemma Dale from NAB. Welcome, Gemma. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So Gemma Dale is the Director of uh, Self-Managed Super Funds and Investor Behaviour at NAB. As I said, we're going to be talking all things portfolio, construction, how to think about balancing your portfolio. A topic, Ren, that is pretty important for beginners when they kick off. Yeah, 100%. I think it's often neglected. We spend so long trying to find the perfect stock, the perfect ATF, perfect fund manager, but we don't think about how you know all those different ingredients go together in to that recipe to make the cake. <laughs> I was really struggling with where that metaphor was going to go. It's beautiful. Ingredients, <laughs> bring the ingredients together. Um, and, you know, Gemma, you've spent a lot of time looking at investor behaviour and I think so much of portfolio construction relates to how we think about investing, how we react emotionally when things go wrong. So no better person to talk us through it today. So Gemma, you did a a presentation for the ASX Investor Week on building a balanced portfolio. If you want to go and check that out, it's going to be on the website now. So go and do so, but we're going to unpack it a bit here. So let's start at the top. 
with some definitions. We're talking about balance in a portfolio. What do you mean by that? So it's such an important question. And there's an industry definition, which the average person is probably familiar with, but has never thought about. And then there's the definition that's relevant to you at the individual level. And they can be dramatically different. (laughs) But it's worth noting that you will see the term balanced portfolio a lot if you are looking at super funds. Mm -hmm. So given the average listener base for you guys, Almost all of you, I assume, will have you know, an Australian super, a future fund type super, uh, whomever else you might be with. And 80% of people with their employer super fund will go into the default fund. You know what default means? You just get chucked into it because you can't be bothered to make a decision. And that portfolio will probably be the balanced fund, right? The technical industry definition of a balanced fund. And that is where they spread assets for you across a whole lot of different asset classes from Australian and international shares to fixed income property and now because we've evolved a little bit they'll have alternatives and infrastructure and a few other things as well and they will show you a beautiful pie chart it's always a pie chart. Uh, maybe they'll split it out for you, but it'll be a beautiful pie chart. And the idea is you'll see lots of different colours on there that will show you little pieces of pie in different asset classes so that overall you have a diversified portfolio. So we talk about balance. What we really mean is diversification and it's so boring and we're never going to call anything diversification because no one will listen. But basically that's what it's about, not putting all your eggs in one basket and ensuring that your portfolio is spread across a variety of different things to give you a return that's not massively skewed. Obviously we'd all love to skew to the upside, right? We'd love it to be able to get, you know, 100% every year, but there's a fair amount of risk in that and the other option is you go to zero and then you've got no money. So you want want to balance out your portfolio to moderate your returns over time so you don't get that massive volatility, that massive up and down because when you hold lots of different things – We'll talk about what lots means in a minute. You have some that do well. Hopefully anything that's doing poorly at the same time will be offset by things that do well. Mm -hmm. At an individual level, that does not have to look like a balanced fund in a super fund. At an individual level, you might be trying to achieve something quite different to Australian super or whomever you're with. You might not be going for 8% per annum until you retire, which is not super exciting. So don't assume that what is the technical definition is right for you personally. It's just more about building a portfolio that's not desperately chasing the one perfect stock or asset, it's more designed to give you a better long-term return. Mm. Mm. You mentioned there that it, it relates to our individual goals. And I guess the, the next question we we're going to ask is, does balance mean the same thing for every investor or can it mean different things to different people? And I'm going to assume based on your answer, last answer, it does mean different things to different people. So I guess the follow-up then is how do we figure out what balance means to us? Yeah, that's such a good question. Clearly different for everybody. The industry has had to, particularly the super industry, has had to make assumptions about what everybody looks like and they still argue about it internally all the time. So they haven't come up with the perfect solution. But you at the individual level, broadly speaking, people have one of a handful of goals, really. In all the time that I've been talking to people, and I used to work with financial advisors all the time, they were talking to people, people are trying to create an income stream in retirement and they are retired or they're getting very close to retirement. 
they're saving up for retirement, <laughs> intending to create that income stream. You're saving up to buy a house, which is just a massive issue and I'm sure for your investor base, <laughs> just the issue. Alternatively, you're trying to build wealth over the long term. Like they're largely the things people are trying to do. So you're trying to create an income stream, you're trying to grow a portfolio, you may have a series of goals within that. We know with equities you need a minimum time frame of sort of five years plus. You might pick the window where you make a fortune in a short term, but you might also not. So let's go with five years plus. And if you have a five year plus time frame, it'll be one of those big goals. So if you're trying to build a portfolio over the long term, you're looking for growth really. If you're looking to build a portfolio to live on from an income perspective, then you're looking for yield. You're not looking for growth so much. And then there's a whole series of different objectives underlying that. But basically they're the kind of major things that you're looking for. So Gemma, there's a number of different ways that you can achieve balance as an investor in a portfolio, asset class, geography, industry. Are you able to talk us through those and why they might be important, how you might think about it, depending on where you are in your investing journey? Yeah, I'll come back to the intro actually where you were talking about trying to find that perfect stock because that's the question so many people are asking, like how do I get the perfect stock into, I mean, I'm just going to buy that and then I'll be sweet. Mm -hmm. And usually what we find with our investors is they make a couple of great decisions at the beginning or they may be poor decisions but they make a couple of decisions but the next evolution is really like, oh, God, now what do I do? What do I do? So when you're in that situation, so you've bought two stocks or three stocks or your first ETF or whatever it might be, evolving to a portfolio is about thinking, broadly speaking, what are my goals, right? So I know, let's say I'm going to go with go with a long-term growth portfolio given how nice. we're, uh, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might be talking to yeah. So a long-term growth portfolio. I have bought one buy now, pay later stock, one international ETF over the NASDAQ, And maybe a handful of other things, right? So I've bought that. So you're already halfway there in terms of diversification. You have realised that buying only domestic companies, you're missing out on some incredible opportunities overseas. And Australia does not have some extraordinary industries and some extraordinary sectors that you would like to get access to if you're trying to build a long-term portfolio, right? So you want to think about geography more in terms of the opportunities it presents rather than I have to have Europe and the US or I have to have China and Japan or whatever it is that you're thinking. It's more about what do they offer that we don't have. We don't have a car manufacturing industry in Australia at all. So if you're interested in EVs, you're going to have to go offshore, that sort of thing. So what am I trying to get into my portfolio that I think is a long-term growth opportunity? And can I have more than one of those? Because if I've only got one, I might get it badly wrong and then it's all going to go to pieces. Mm. So what am I going to include in that and how do I get access to them? And preferably you will have some geographic spread just because we don't have everything in Australia. You will have some sector spread, so you will be talking about different sectors. And you should be thinking about other asset classes as well. Mm. So even though that is hard to do when you're talking to equity mates. <laughs> Equities plus other stuff. Um, fixed income is really hard at the moment and it's really hard for young people. It's very difficult to get excited about yeah. 1.5%. Like yeah. I personally can't go for it. And I will say I was talking about professionally balanced portfolios a while ago. They have also been shrinking dramatically in in professional portfolios. So what used to be a 60% growth portfolio with 40% defensive assets it's now like 85, 15 and they're still calling it balanced because you just it's so hard to generate a return yeah. out of credit and fixed income. So 
If you are building a long-term growth portfolio, you are allowed to put those asset classes to the side in the current <laughs> environment, in my view. Obviously, seek personal advice if you're in a personal situation. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, the asset classes that matter, if you're trying for growth, will be domestic and international equities. You may like to think about property and different ways of accessing that if you can't afford a house, which many, many of us can't. Mm. And also infrastructure and alternatives because they are other options available to you for long-term growth. So thinking about the different asset classes, different sectors, different geographies, and trying to pick the things in those different areas that are going to get you where you want to go. It's uh, We speak about it on the show. The good news is that with the equity market, you can actually get exposure to all of those asset classes without having to spend a million and a half dollars on a shoebox. So, <laughs> and you can get access to the best infrastructure around the world and different mm-hmm. commodities and different asset classes all through ASX or the NASDAQ or whatever it may be. So yeah, it's very important that you don't just think of the equity market as investing in companies and that's the only asset class that you can get. Mm. You talk about not wanting a, to spend $1.5 million on a shoebox, but we both dream of that day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stressed about it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we know the power of the stock market, yeah. you know, like a lot of people who stress about it, I believe, and like no offense, but um, it's because you might not, you know, understand the power that the stock market has in terms of generating wealth. And you might think that the only way to do so is through property. Mm. So yeah. um, listen to all of our other podcasts because we yeah. talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still hanging out for a, a retail property ATF. I think that should, I know, that's something at some point. Yeah, rental yield and capital growth, $1,000 parcels. Yeah. How good. <laughs> a few people have had a crack at it. Oh, really? But not delivered anything that would be an exciting investment opportunity for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. hard to crack that fair one. Fair enough, fair enough. So, Gemma, I think we've uh, we've touched on it and we've sort of, uh, you know, uh, mentioned it, but I, I really like to drill down on the why here. So, you know, you presented about the importance of a balanced portfolio and how we can achieve a balanced portfolio. Let's really drill down on why balance or diversification is a priority. Why shouldn't we just be optimising for returns? Why should we be focused on balance? It's interesting you say, why wouldn't we be optimising for returns? I mean, we all love the idea of optimising for returns, by which you basically mean just picking amazing stuff that does super well. Mm. And we would all like to think we're awesome at that, but you will get it wrong occasionally, right? And if you are optimising for returns by picking the one thing you think will shoot the lights out, if you're wrong, it hurts a lot. Um, And we've all got it wrong before, (laughs) speaking personally. So the point of diversification is to go, first of all, there's a universe of great ideas out there and there's a universe of great companies. So even if you are super high conviction on one thing, like I believe that XYZ technology company is the future and nothing else will do better, that assumes there is nothing else good out there which is a bizarre assumption, right? There's plenty of great ideas out there. So you do want to be participating in a number of great ideas. That's one thing I believe very strongly. And then you also want to be assuming that some of your great ideas will suck at some point or another and you want to ensure that your great ideas can offset whatever your bad idea was. And sometimes things are blown out of the water for things you would never have anticipated mm. or alternatively, I know you're going to ask me about Afterpay. I'm getting ahead of you on this one. But um, <laughs> so Afterpay is a really good example, right? Because everyone uses the example of the 100 bagger, right? It's the stock that has just done super well and many people were on it. At NAB Trade, which is where I work, uh, we had so many investors holding Afterpay at 
$4, $10, that sort of thing. It went to $8 mm. in, during the crisis last year. Devo. <laughs> Devo, we did. Sure, yeah. double down. Anyway. <laughs> but you may not remember, it also plummeted the year before when there were concerns about credit licensing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. If Afterpay was licensed like a credit provider and the regulator had to make a call about it, the prospects for that company would be dramatically different, right? If you had know your client, you had to do credit checks and all this kind of stuff. It's no longer buy now, pay later, and it's basically a glorified credit card provider. And that's a totally different story. And it goes from being a hundred bagger to still eight bucks. Mm. So your great idea can turn out to be a terrible idea if the regulator gives a different opinion. And there's nothing you can do to control that outcome. So there's a, and I mean, that's one example of many, many, many. Those of one early in my career was a company called Macmillan Shakespeare, which did salary packaging. And they changed the rules in salary packaging and the company just collapsed because right. its business didn't exist anymore the next mm. day. So however great your research and your analysis, sometimes things just don't work out. Yeah. In addition, there's universal great ideas out there and you want to participate in at least a few of them, right? Mm. Not just... Not all your eggs in one basket. That's the one we always tell everybody. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. But there's a reason for that. There's other really pretty eggs out there. (laughs) (laughs) So when Ren and I first started investing, international markets were pretty inaccessible. ETFs were nowhere near as prolific as they are now. So we were limited to the incredibly exciting ASX 200. (laughs) (laughs) How do Australian investors rate at the moment from what you're seeing on your end when it comes to balanced portfolios? Have we spread our wings and investing internationally across all asset classes, as you said, or are we all in on NAB and that's it? (laughs) (laughs) Telstra. Telstra. Um, uh, I love your point about accessibility now because the world is so different. Uh, When I first started yeah, the choices were so limited. You generally had to go with a professional fund manager if you wanted to access mm. even really the ASX 200, like even online broking was in its infancy and you would have to ring up a broker in the yellow pages and it was all very shameful, particularly if you were an 18-year-old girl, which I was, <laughs> like really bad. Um, you know, and you'd pay them $75 to place a trade for you, like ridiculous things. So access is extraordinary now and you also have like high quality research, you have tools that give you real time trading prices, which didn't exist even five years ago. You've got all this amazing stuff and then you've got products where you can just go and buy it, which is amazing. So I would love to think that everyone's just taken advantage of all of that and done amazing things. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, I went and looked at our data (laughs) and it's not as good as you would have hoped, if I'm honest with you. So at NabTrade, we have like literally hundreds of thousands of investors and we don't necessarily see everything they have. That's probably quite important to note. So they may have other stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the average individual investor, so we will have self-managed super funds and companies and trusts and stuff where they're slightly different, but the average individual has about five and a half individual assets in their portfolio. Wow. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) which is maybe not what a sort of person who's studied diversification would recommend that you have. As I said, they may have stuff outside, but that is, you're probably not going to have two online brokers. So you're probably not going to have another parcel of shares somewhere else. I think I have four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think I've got at least three. Yeah. Okay. Do you have hidden assets with all of them though? Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Oh my God. You guys are mental. Um, (laughs) I just like I am consolidating though. Yeah. In a big way. I like to keep my paperwork together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so funny. There's no cost to open another one and better offers keep coming along. 
Oh. And then there's paper. But you don't transfer your assets? Paper-based forms. I, I hate paper-based paper, forms. Paper. <laughs> oh, well, I'm learning something today. Okay, so let's assume everyone's got three brokers. We can multiply by three. Everyone's got 15, 15. assets on average. Uh, 16 and a half even. Um, that's too funny. We will assume because our investor base is a little older <laughs> and a little bit less likely to do that, that this is not too far off. Self-managed super funds are interesting because they have 12. So the individuals have five and a half uh, and joint have like six, so like husband and wife type situations. They have six assets on average. And even if we include ETFs and LICs and diversified products, so that's great. Like you can place one, one trade yeah. and you've got 200 or whatever it is in there in, in terms of individual companies. They're 9% of our total asset. Wow. So nine out of ten of the other assets are individual stocks. That's wow. really surprising. Yeah. Yeah. They, admittedly that's massive compared to two years ago when they were 4%. Wow. So the, I don't think we should continue to assume that level of growth. Mm. But they were only like 4% of turnover wow. a couple of years ago. Like it was really small. Uh, and it's mostly young people driving it. Mm. Young people are twice as likely to hold ETFs and twice as likely to buy them. And the other thing that I do love because last year was all about – Robin Hood idiots blowing up their cash and <laughs> making markets crazy and whatever. And we were getting all of this. I was talking to journalists every day like, oh, are you seeing this AMC stuff? Are you seeing this? Oh, it's a terrible GameStop, blah, blah, And we just didn't see it at all. So young people on our platform, and admittedly we're lying to a bank, maybe we just get more conservative people by definition, but they hold twice as long as older people. They're far more likely to buy diversified assets. They're far more conservative in their behaviour than you would ever expect. So we see really sensible trading. I love that. Love I to love see it. that yeah. because mm. the reputation that Gen Z and millennial traders get is completely the opposite. Cowboys and cowgirls. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the more brokers we speak to, the more they say that. that oh, good. Young people are actually investing incredibly sensibly. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks to equity mates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> Gemma, you mentioned there for people that have studied diversification Mm. and might not think that five stocks is optimal. Mm. I'm going to assume you have studied diversification. Mm. What does the research suggest in terms of optimal balance? Most important, so what I did actually study was fund manager performance, uh, which was quite funny. So quite a long time ago, uh, whether or not fund managers were likely to outperform the index. And in the time period I looked at, there was one in Australia who did it. And if I'd moved my time period by two years, they wouldn't have either. So... (laughs) Learned a lot about that. It was yeah. quite educational, um, which is good when you're at uni. You should probably do educational things. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so looking at diversification, there's a lot of different mm. pieces of research on this and it's worth noting they're all historical, right? You can't predict the future. So they always look backwards and go over that time period, this is what you would have needed to hold in order to minimise the volatility in your portfolio, so minimise the crazy ups and downs and maximise or optimise your return as best you can given that sort of volatility minimum. We're getting rid of jargon. I can't even say (laughs) minimisation. Good job, John. Um, So by trying to get a better return and less downside risk, less loss, right? So the estimates are between 10 and 25. They say there is diminishing value after 10. Mm. So you get to 10. So 10 is great. 15 is better, but not a lot better. And then 20 is better, but not a lot, lot better and so on. So if you can get to 10, I think that's excellent, particularly for a young person who's building a portfolio. Getting to 10 is pretty impressive. Mm. So long as you are 
looking at different sectors and different types. And I think and we should just clarify when we're saying get to 10, we're talking individual stocks here. Yes. That, that's not yeah. 10 ETFs. 10 ETFs is going to give you quite an extraordinary <laughs> no, that's portfolio. Of yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just buy the MSCI All World if you're yeah, going to do yeah. that. Yeah. I have a question around, um, around building a portfolio and timing, Gemma, but before mm. we do, we'll just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So Gemma, one question that often comes through our community online and I feel like causes a bit of angst and stress is the speed at which you need to build diversification in a portfolio. You know, so uh, you're just starting out, you have $2,000 and people will often ask the question, you know, should I be putting $100 if I can buy fractional across 10 different stocks so I get there right now? Should I be buying one ETF every five months and building it that way? I know there's no right answer, but like for a beginner investor stressed about getting to that mm. 10 number or whatever it may be, how would you sort of advise on that? Probably the first thing is clearly based on our data, very few people get there. Okay. Um, so, so don't panic. <laughs> you and everybody yeah, else, true. right? If the average is um, five yeah, and we're saying yeah, 10. Yeah. <laughs> You're okay. You're You've okay. got time. Um, you know, now average investor age is not 25. Uh, so you do have time. I think that's really important. Like don't panic. Building a portfolio, particularly when you're young, is – it's a long-term game, right? Yeah. You put your money in when you've got the money to put in. You don't chase it. Uh, I think also what's interesting is we get a lot of questions, and I'm sure you do, about market timing Yeah, yeah. Uh, all yeah. the time. Should I do it now? Should I pull out? I had a guy come to me and go, I've done super well because I bought at the absolute low last year and here's what I bought. Should I sell it all and wait for another dip? I was like, yeah, can, but I can't promise you when it's going to come. <laughs> like, oh, God, okay. Um, it's fabulous that people have it in mind. I think that's amazing, right, that they understand investing well enough to even have that as a goal is fantastic because it's not true of everybody, clearly. Um, so that's fantastic. Your time frame depends on your cash flow, right, and mm. how long it takes you to be able to get there. If it took you a year great. If it takes you two years, great. Whatever, it, it will take time. I think also markets have moved so much in the last two years. You know, it took three weeks to fall 30% and it's taken a year to grind its way back and then now it's hitting its highs and jumping around all over the place. Yeah. Like it's quite extraordinary what markets do. If you need to take time, take time. Mm. Don't mm. put yourself under pressure I think to that's chase the, it. Yeah, I think that's the a really good answer is just don't stress about it. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you're doing better than a lot of people that aren't thinking about it at all. Yeah. 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 Oh, amazing, right? The fact that so many young people want to invest now is just amazing to me. And as you say, you talk about the power of the stock market. I just think about the power of compounding in general. Like mm. you are investing regularly vastly better off than the average person, even though all the baby boomers got cheap housing. I know. Um, <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. But as, um, my, as my parents always say, the interest rates were a lot higher. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Okay. But look at, look at them now. Look at them now. <laughs> Let's keep on the uh, how do we actually build balance mm. uh, train of thought. So Bryce just asked a question about someone who's early in their journey without yeah. a lot of money. You know, as we go on our investing journey, as we – accumulate uh, more money as hopefully we earn more from our jobs and we can put more into the market. Balance is important and we've got to keep balance in mind. So what are some of, I guess, the tips or rules of thumb? Um, obviously, you can't give specific financial advice, but what are some things we should be thinking about for throughout our investing journey? 
I think one of the hardest challenges with diversification is when you do hit the jackpot with one stock. I know. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> clearly. That's funny. So, you know, you, you pick the afterpay at four bucks, right? Let's say you do that. It's always the best example because everyone knows it. Bryce would, Bryce would like me to tell you he picked it at two, actually. <laughs> and that's amazing. Well done. I picked the absolute low of the market last year. Absolutely. Wow. Unfortunately, it was about 1% of my total investing value that went in at that day, but I was still like, look at me. Yeah. Um, I got friends who are fund managers and they're like, we'll bring you on as a trader. I was like, apart from the other many thousands of days I've placed trades and not at that point. Um, you always got to have your one win, right? I know. So you pick that one thing and it goes to the moon and you feel like a champion, but now you have a portfolio that is like, $1,000 of this and $1,000 of this and $1,000 of this and $1,000 and $24,000 of that. And that's really hard. This is where I think your research and your conviction matter a lot. Like the research that you did to buy the stock, have you continued to think about what its prospects look like? Has anything changed? Do you still believe in it passionately or are you just happy you were on the ride and now you don't really know what the future looks like? It's really hard. I find it really difficult and portfolios get out of whack all the time, particularly if you've only got a relatively small number of stocks. So one piece of not advice that I want to <laughs> mention, uh, but one thing that I, I do think is super valuable is we tend to cut our winners early. Mm. That's a habit I have because um, I panic. And um, But, you know, we cut our winners early and we, we don't cut our losses early enough and I think that's quite useful to keep in mind but then you don't want to keep chasing that one thing Mm -hmm. so you can always take a little bit off the top so let's say you've got 25 grand in one thing and 10 grand in everything else you can always take five thousand dollars off the table and put it into something else worth thinking though do i have any other good ideas like is there anything else i do want to put it into if you don't know we get this a lot it's kind of like i want to sell that like great what do you want to do with it and they're like i don't know Okay, we'll come up with another idea first because cash is a really bad idea right now. Mm. So your cash sucks, so you got to think of something else. I think that point of letting your winners run is a really important one because retail investors don't have a lot of advantages over fund managers. Time horizon oh, is a I big think one. Got heaps, but, <laughs> but but another big one is that they can let their portfolios get out of whack. Kathy Wood over in this the US, one of the most successful fund managers of the last few years, is super bullish on Tesla, but she has to keep selling Tesla shares because only ten percent of her fund can be allocated to Tesla. As retail investors, we don't have those rules. No one looking over our shoulder and we can let winners run and to arbitrarily cut them short, I feel, is letting yourself down. Yeah, yeah. and I like I'm guilty of it all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's a challenge to go, like we had a heap of people selling after about 70 and 80 bucks. They were like, it just cannot keep going higher. Mm. But then a lot of people who didn't sell at 160 because yeah, they're yeah, like, it's yeah. going to the moon, it'll just keep going to 1,000. <laughs> so you know, we're never going to get it perfectly right. All of those people made a lot of money. Mm. Like they all did extremely well. The other thing is don't kick yourself for not getting it perfectly right. Like nobody does. No one gets it perfectly right all the time. And we all have a habit of hanging on to one number or another number. Like why didn't I buy more of that at that yeah. price? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> that. yeah. Or why didn't I sell at this mm, point? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you hang on to these numbers and they're arbitrary. And it's worth noting as well, like it's often a split second in time. Like I was saying that Afterpay went to $8.01 last year. You probably had 22 seconds to pick it at that price. Mm. It was not yeah. a day. Yeah. It was seconds. Yeah. You know, yeah. so don't kick yourself too hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these are moments in time. Yeah. So, Jamie, you've mentioned things like geography, asset classes, and then that led us to sort of 
discussed that you can get access to those sorts of you know diversification profiles through the ASX. Are you able to talk us through some of the ASX listed options that you know if you're starting out and thinking about balance that you can access? Or if you've just made a heap of money on Afterpay and this is the very first time you're thinking about balance, <laughs> <laughs> where should we where look for it? It is amazing what you can get now for next to nothing that just gives you incredible access. So I'll start with ETFs because they're really well understood and widely known about now, which is great. Um, so people are not going what is one of those EFTs again? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they know what they are. So it's an exchange-traded fund. Funds, managed funds have been around forever, but exchange-traded funds are broadly index-based, so you're not paying professional management fees. You're paying 15 bips. Uh, not jargon. Uh, <laughs> 0.15%, right? Very, very little for this. And you, you might be paying nine basis points, like 0.09% mm. uh, for someone to track the market for you. The market you choose is up to you. There's an extraordinary range of them out there for you now. So you might want to follow the NASDAQ, the FTSE, the S&P 500, whatever it might be. And that's a matter of going. Uh, The S&P 500 is actually a really interesting one in that is the US is the largest and deepest and most liquid market in the world. That's the top 500 companies in the US. It's incredible. You can go, I'm going to get Microsoft and Facebook and Amazon and Google and blah, 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 all the other things and Tesla now. Uh, yes. So Tesla was only added to the index. You guys know this, but I will note Tesla was only added to the index sort of around the beginning of this year and it came in in the top 10 because it wasn't profitable for a long time. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. S&P, the guys who run the index, were like, nah, you don't make any profits. You're not allowed to be in the index. That's just speculation, right? You might be profitable one day. You have access to all of those companies with one trade Mm. and you will get a fairly consistent return relative to buying any one of those individual companies, which might be quite volatile. So a lot of people start with the S&P 500. I will say, though, for our investors, they start with the ASX. Yeah. So they start with buying the ASX 200. Yeah, yeah, that's not surprising. I mean, it's what we know. It's the companies we know. Well, traditionally it was the companies we know. These days we probably use more products and services from the US companies. Yeah, Yeah. I I think that's super interesting because 15 years ago if I talked about investing in the US and we'd say Walmart and JP Morgan and all this stuff and people would be like, I am loosely familiar with that but I don't really know what you're talking about. (laughs) You're like, isn't it fascinating that this thing happened? And it would be a unique insight. Whereas now people are like, oh, yes, I'll just look that up while I'm talking to you. You know, there's nothing unique about US products and services anymore. Yeah. You have them in your pocket and, you know. Uh, so you are accessing the products and services you use every day. Mm. You can also access the Chinese tech companies, which is a bit more of a complex proposition at the moment. But, you know, you can access this incredible range of different things. So ETFs are amazing. You can also go for professionally managed products and they are across all the asset classes. So you can go for professionally managed fixed income for example, using a listed ETMF, they call them. So actively managed fund or an exchange traded managed fund, you pay more for them because they've got a professional manager running them, but they can give you access to all sorts of staff, infrastructure and all sorts of things. So So Gemma, as well as all these ETFs that track, you know, a certain market or a, you know, a certain theme, there's also ETFs that track everything. There's an MSCI or world index that is just every stock in the world basically (laughs) or or there's also products that are multi-asset so Mm -hmm. they'll have a little bit of property a little bit of fixed income Mm -hmm. a little bit of stocks 
if I want to achieve balance in my portfolio, is it enough just to buy one of those ETFs that track everything or everything in one asset class? So I'm going to give a an answer that is probably very unpopular in, in parts of my industry, which is you can do that. You're going to get access to literally thousands of underlying assets, like thousands, mm. because you're going to get 500 companies in the US just in the S&P 500 bit of your MSCI plus all the other geographies and everything else. So you're going to get thousands of underlying assets. It's an easy decision, which is good. Sometimes easy is best because if it's too hard, you don't do anything and that is much worse than doing something not perfect. However, you want to have a good look at what's underneath it. Like MSCI is really interesting in that China's got a tiny sleeve for the world's biggest population, like a tiny sleeve. And for a while there was nothing. So you get people buying it thinking that they're getting access to Tencent and Baidu and whatever. If they're dual listed, fine, or if they're listed in Hong Kong, fine. But a lot of people were thinking they were getting – and they were thinking they're getting access to Tesla, Mm. but it wasn't in the S&P 500 at that time. So don't go into these blindly thinking that you're getting everything you might not be getting the one thing that you actually were a little bit attached to getting. You've got to have a bit of a look at it first. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the in the MSCI All World Index, the US is like 70% of the index? Uh, is right? So there's two miscue options and okay. I can't remember which one's 70%. <laughs> you should go and look it up. Um, but, yeah, no, you're absolutely correct, right? So you have to look at how these things are constructed mm. because the US tends to dominate. If you buy the S&P 500 and the numbers may have changed, I haven't looked at it in the last couple of months, but the top five companies comprise 25% mm. of the S&P 500. So Microsoft, Amazon, Google, you know, you've got 5% each. Mm. And then this really long tail of other stuff, yeah, but yeah. tiny fractions. So ETFs are amazing, but they are weighted by size. Mm. And sometimes you're buying things that they're absolute peak or you're buying stuff you're not that interested in and they are and they dominate so so long as you understand that fine but if you haven't looked at it closely like i'm just gonna buy that thing it helps to understand and i think that's an important point where if you're buying things uh, etfs that have us tech in them basically so you're going to be exposed to the same uh same companies in different products so if you're buying an msci all world index an s&p 500 <laughs> index and, and a nasdaq, NASDAQ 100 yeah, yeah. index yeah you're basically exposed to five stocks you got a buck a lot of microsoft <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and if you, so there is a tiny bit of work that needs to go into this but go into your trading platform look up the code of what you're looking for or you type in the name Don't worry about the code. Just type in the name. (laughs) It'll come up. There's a PDF. It's two pages. It'll have that pie chart I was talking about Mm. and it will show you broadly Mm. what's in it and it'll have the top 10 or 20 stocks. So you can pick up this stuff super quickly. It's not difficult to find. It's not difficult information to find. It's very accessible. It only takes two minutes. But if you don't know, you can get... You get very overweight, so you get an unbalanced portfolio mm. unintentionally and you can also end up with stuff that you're not necessarily keen on. So, Gemma, to close out today, we thought we'd have a bit of a game. It's called Balanced or Unbalanced <laughs> and we're going to throw a couple of portfolio examples to you mm. and we'd just love your non-advice thoughts on, <laughs> <laughs> on whether or not yeah. they no. are balanced or mm. unbalanced and perhaps briefly why that's the case. Cool. So let's start with uh, 50% in Tesla, 50% in Apple. Bal- <laughs> <laughs> balanced or unbalanced? I, I'm going unbalanced. Nice. Unbalanced. Yeah, but if nothing else, you've got a lot of currency exposure there. 
which yes. is another thing that people don't necessarily <laughs> think about. The dollar can kill you. Yeah, that's, that's probably worth defining what you mean by that. Yeah, currency exposure. You have Australian dollars. You are buying companies that earn revenue and are priced in US dollars. So even if the company goes up, if the currency, if the Australian dollar is going against you or you bought at a time when the, uh, the dollar was low and so on, then the price movement is related to what the dollar does. Australian and US, as well as what the company's doing, the company price. So you've got to factor that in. You can hedge, which is basically where you pay someone to take that risk off the table for you. Uh, but if you're just buying those two stocks, you haven't hedged. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, this one might be a bit of a softball, but... Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> balanced or unbalanced, uh, a portfolio evenly spread across a global bond ETF, a global real estate ETF, and a global stocks ETF. Look, technically that's balanced. Like it's balanced. If it's right for you is a totally different question. Okay. Yeah. Good answer. That would not be good for me at all. Yeah, I'd be yeah, like, what yeah. am I doing with all these bonds? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, bonds? Getting nothing. Yeah. Balanced or unbalanced? Uh, 100% in the MSCI All World Index ETF. Technically balanced, but I'm really glad we had the conversation yeah. we did a minute ago yeah, because yeah. you are hugely overweight US tech and a yeah. couple of other things that might not be your preference. Yeah. Balance or unbalanced? Again, I feel like I'm just serving up softballs. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I feel like Bryce maybe reordered these. No. <laughs> uh, 50% government bonds, 50% gold. Oh, um, I am assuming that's a super conservative yeah. person, right? If you're an incredibly conservative person, that might be the right portfolio for you, but it ain't balanced. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Balanced or unbalanced? 70% crypto, 10% cash, 10% bonds, 10% stocks. Like there'll be people out there who are like, that is the perfect portfolio. Yeah, I think that is Bryce's portfolio. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going with unbalanced. <laughs> I, uh, I was saying this to you guys before, but like some of the most intelligent people I know don't believe that crypto is an asset class. Mm. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have any, but including it in your portfolio as an asset is a different thing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, balanced or unbalanced, 25% Australian stocks, 25% international stocks, 50% your mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> so technically your mortgage is not an asset. Yeah, this is really interesting. So I'm assuming that there is a property attached to the mortgage, yeah? Yeah, you'd hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, that, that is a tough Does it have a higher value than the mortgage? <laughs> let's, let's say uh, 50% your, your home. Do you know what? That is how people live, mm. right? So for most people... I personally, and, and I, when I bought my first property, it was before things went mental, so I'm very lucky. Not smart, just lucky. My portfolio went from all equities to zero equities or property and a mortgage because to me, and this is when rates were like 7%, maintaining both was not a good financial decision. I wanted that mortgage gone and then I would invest later. So I think that's a realistic portfolio mm. at various stages in your life and the fact that you have diversified away from just property is amazing. If you have an equities portfolio that's worth as much as your mortgage, you're doing really well. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> probably the, the more realistic question is balanced or unbalanced, all of your net worth plus 30 years worth of debt in a residential property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At current rates, you are better off having money in equities and a larger mortgage on a purely tax basis, mm. not necessarily on a um, financially secure basis, if that makes sense. One thing I will say, I we have a financial 
uh, economist who does behavioural stuff at NAB and they've done a heap of research on financial wellbeing, like what actually matters emotionally to people and owning your own home is number one. Mm. Mm. And it doesn't matter how big your mortgage is, Mm. that sense of security from owning a home dramatically improves your wellbeing. So having a massive mortgage sucks. <laughs> like it's really <laughs> bad and having a house is so expensive and all of those things, but there's a lot to be said for it. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's painful. It feels like you're just rubbing it in at this I'm point. I'm so sorry. <laughs> One day, Bryce. <laughs> I don't feel insecure about it. <laughs> but th- according to Gemma, we'll be a lot happier if we I have don't think our so. house. I don't think so. But anyway, anyway. Gen- should, we should have a look at that data and go, what age group were they asking? Yeah. Because it yeah, might have yeah. been married people with kids. Who don't want to be in rentals. I, I get it as well. Just don't have to do house inspections with your landlord. That alone <laughs> would make me happier. <laughs> don't have to have flatmates. That made me a lot happier. That was a big thing. Well, Gemma, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I think there's been a lot of ground covered and we've ticked a lot of boxes when it comes to building a, a balanced portfolio and I know there are a lot of questions that have been answered from our community. So thank you very much. It's been great to have you as part of the ASX Investor Week here on Equity Mates. A reminder that if you want to check out Gemma's uh, presentation online, head to asx.com.au slash investor dash day. We'll have that link in the show notes. Uh, and a reminder that you can check out all of our episodes on Get Started Investing and over on the Equity Mates feed with um, some of the other amazing guests. But Gemma, thank you very much. Thanks so much, guys. Get Started Investing is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Get Started Investing are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Get Started Investing acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.